All right. Uh, praises be to Yahuwah, our Father, for gathering each and every one of us to study again His words. Now we're going to do part two of the question and answer part of our Bible study concerning the set-apart names of Yahuwah and Yahusha. Now before we go ahead and proceed, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Everlasting Father, Almighty yes. Yahuwah, we praise your holy name once again. We thank you so much. Blessing us with peace, blessing us with joy, despite the persecution and the hatred that some of your people have been experiencing because of your precious name and the name of your beloved Son. Nevertheless, we have so much joy in our hearts because we know you are upon us and your blessings abound in our life. Lord Yahusha, we worship you as well. Be with us in our Bible study and strengthen always our faith. Father, please continue to forgive all our sins. We ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to go ahead and proceed right away to our question and answer because we have a lot of slides uh, to cover, but I promise you it won't be as long as part one of our question and answer. Let's proceed to the very first question. Uh, verse uh, Jeremiah 8.8, 8, you use this verse to point out words that you think was falsely written in the Bible. Uh, do you believe that the disciples of Christ who were commissioned by God to write the Holy Bible book or holy book were not guided by the spirit of god number two uh, when you pointed out the six thousand quote-unquote lord words in the bible were you actually saying it should be written as yahusha instead of lord are you saying the bible is wrong well at the same time you are using the verses in the bible to support your lesson so let's go with question number two first is that okay Question number two is asking us, when you point out the 6,000 Lord words in the Holy Bible, are you saying it should be written Yahusha instead? No, it should not be Yahusha. It's something else. Are you saying the Bible is wrong? Never did we say the Bible is wrong. However, there's something we need to understand about our translation of the Holy Bible. What is that? I want you to go home, or you're probably at home, I want you to get your Bible. Next slide, open a page in the Old Testament, and you will probably run across these words, L-O-R-D in all caps. How many of you have seen that term, L-O-R-D, in all caps in your Bible? I think all of us have, right? It's there. And so to the one who is asking the question, we need to deepen our question and ask ourselves, in the manuscripts from which our English Bibles came from, does it actually transliterate to L-O-R-D? It does not. In fact, if you go at the manuscripts from which we get our translation from, what do we find instead of L-O-R-D? Next slide, please. It is the Tetragrammaton. It is the four-letter name of the Father that has been repeated 7,000 times throughout the Holy scriptures how does it look like next slide a magnified view of it next slide it is called the tetragrammaton it's four letters the yod the hey the wow and the hey so that's what you find in the holy scriptures it doesn't transliterate to l-o-r-d and so when you look for example at exodus 15 next slide please when you read the word lord in the actual Bible or the original Bible, it's not Lord there. It is the Tetragrammaton, 
the name of the Father. The Tetragrammaton is transliterated, that means it is pronounced in a different language in English as Yahuwah, not Yahusha, although they are related. In this case, the Tetragrammaton refers to Yahuwah. And so this Tetragrammaton, the four-letter name of the Father, has been concealed by taking it out and replacing it with the word L-O-R-D. Do they say this as a matter of fact? Yeah. In the preface to the new NIV translation of the Bible, they do admit that when they come across the Y-H-W-H or the four-letter name of the Father, they say they substitute L-O-R-D in capital letters. And so they do admit that they change the name of the Father from the Tetragrammaton to Lord, L-O-R-D. So let's go to the next question, please. Number one, Jeremiah, verse Jeremiah 8, 8. You use this verse to point out words that you think was falsely written in the Bible. Do you believe that the disciples of Christ who were commissioned by God to write the holy book were not guided by the Spirit of God? I don't believe that. I believe they were guided. However, does the Bible speak of false scribes as you mentioned in Jeremiah 8, 8? Yes, Let's read the passage, Jeremiah 8, and the verse is 8. How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord? You see L-O-R-D there, right? What should it be? The tetragrammaton, which is transliterated what? Yahuwah. We are wise and the law of Yahuwah is with us. Look, the false pen of the scribe certainly works falsehood. What does the scribe do? They copy manuscripts. When you translate a copy to a different target language, who does the work? Scribes. What is the forewarning of the prophet Jeremiah? What did God say will happen? There will be false scribes. Why are they false? Because they will work falsehood with their pen. Was this fulfilled? Because it must be fulfilled. God himself declared it, not me. This is God's word. If you believe in God's word, it means there's going to be a problem somewhere along the line when it comes to the preserving or the transmission or the translation of the Holy Scripture. So how was this fulfilled? Next slide. To get from uh, the original to the New King James Version, you had to remove what? The tetragrammaton. What do you do? You add a word that's not really there. What is that word? L-O. R-D. So you subtract and you add to the Bible. In my view, that is completely unacceptable. This is why I cannot use a Bible translation that purposely conceals the name of the Father and replaces it with L-O-R-D. So what we are saying, the Bible writers were not wrong, but time will come when the scribes who will copy the Bible and translated will in fact do something that is falsehood and this is a fact not an opinion because those who write the who make the translation for the english have admitted uh, to that fact okay let's go to the next question i don't know if you can read that it's too tiny yeah let me read it for you hypo i'm curious why you are using byn the bible translated by mr lou White, if you are fascinated by Hebrew, 
would it not be more prudent to use a more scholarly translation by Jewish scholars who speak uh, the language and are entrenched in the Jewish tradition? They are the ones who are truly, who truly understand the nuance, diction, and cadence of the language. I hope you are not being influenced by Mr. Lem White or Lou White. Uh, the name of God is not even spoken among the Jews because to them it is holy. It is only whispered like a breath by the high priest during the holiest day for the Jews, the day of atonement. I'm quite uncomfortable that Brother John's lesson is peppered with Hebrew words. What if he is mispronouncing them? And what if the pronunciation of the tetragrammaton, as taught by Mr. White, is wrong? Have you ever considered you might be treading dangerous grounds? I hope if Brother John wants to further his studies with Hebrew and the Hebrew tradition, he would do it in a respectable institution or university. That's a very well thought out question. And it's a question that we should be concerned about because indeed we do use the BYNV Bible. The translator happens to be Mr. Lou White. And why are we using that translation? Next slide, please. Um, we will still use other translations, and we still use other translations so long as we are not placed in the predicament of having to read L-O-R-D when it is a known fact that it is the tetragrammaton that is there and not the term Lord, right? This is why when we want to make sure what we are reading is correct, is true, then we should use the translation whenever we come up with the term Lord in all caps, okay? However, it doesn't mean that we will not use other translations because we still use other translations. Do we use the work of Hebrew scholars? Yes, we respect their authority. We respect their expertise. After all, they were born with the Hebrew tongue. However, we need to be cautious. Why? Next slide, please. Why be cautious with Jewish scholarship? First of all, number one, because there's a bias against the Messiah whom they reject. They don't believe that Yahusha, Jesus, is the Messiah. Of course, there's going to be a bias there. And there's going to be an agenda in all these institutions that are run by the Jewish people because they have a tradition and they want an agenda that they promote. And so every institution, it could be the Dallas a theological school, the Fullerton Theological School in Southern California. Every school, every institution, every group of people have an agenda that they are pushing. Isn't that true? Especially the Jewish people. Remember, they don't believe in the Messiah being our Lord, Yahusha, or Jesus Christ in other people's uh, interpretation. So we need to be very cautious. What is the proof that there is Jewish influence when it comes to translations of scripture, why do we need to be cautious? I'm not saying reject flat out their scholarship. We need to be cautious. Why? What has been their agenda ever since the beginning, ever since the first century? Let's read uh, from their book uh, because they have lots of books which are not biblical. Okay, it's not in the Bible, but they have the Talmud and other sources of their wisdom inside the temple during the time of Yahusha on earth, the first century up until 70 CE, Common Era, or AD, when there was the reading of the blessing of Numbers 6, 23 to 27. The utterance of the divine name was drowned out by the singing of the priests. And so even in 
the very first parts or during the first century, during the days of Yahusha here on earth, they were already prohibiting people from uttering the divine name of the Father. And what did they do when they translated the copy or took a copy and translated in a different language? What did they do? Next slide, please. Early on, the name, talking about the Tetragrammaton, right? Yahuwah. Early on, the name was written in Hebrew characters. You can see a picture of the papyrus that's written in Greek, but you notice the preserved Hebrew name, right? That's the Tetragrammaton. This was eventually changed by substituting the word kurios. What does kurios mean? It means Lord in Greek, Adonai in Hebrew. And so because they were translating the Hebrew scriptures into Greek, when they come across the Tetragrammaton, time came, they put kurios instead of the Tetragrammaton. The use of the Hebrew name was used until 135 CE. No Greek text of the Bible before 150 CE have been found using kurios instead of the Tetragrammaton. And so early on, in the very, very earliest manuscripts of the New Testament, you find the Tetragrammaton. But eventually, beginning 150 CE, they stopped using it and substituted, what word? Kurios. Who do you think influenced this protocol? The Jews, because they did not want the name pronounced. That is their agenda. What else? Next slide, please. According to the Talmud, before our common era, the two divine names, YH, how is that pronounced? Yeah. Yah. It is the contraction of Yahuwah, right? And YHW, the first three letters of the Tetragrammaton, which is the essential part of the name of the Father. YHW or YHU, how is that pronounced? Yahoo. They were stamped on jars and they had begun to remove in order to protect their holiness. So slowly we can see they're removing the use of the name of the Father. Yahoo became Ye-ho. They're taking the Ya, replacing it with the Ye. They're taking the U, replacing it with the O. And this is what happened after the Babylonian captivity because of the influence of the Babylonians in the language of the people of Judah when they were held captive there for 70 years. So we can see slowly what is happening with the name of the Father. It is being hidden and concealed. What else? Next slide, please. The name Yahoo was removed in the first century by modifying all theophoric names ending with Yahoo. Remember, when you look at scriptures in the Old Testament, you will find names that contain Yahoo. That's called a theophoric name because it has the name of the Father, Yahoo. And so they changed it. They changed it to Ia or Iau according to the preferences of the translator induced by Greek uh, disclensions. Thus, in the Septuagint, in spite of thousands of theophoric names, there are none ending in Yahoo. And so you can see, because of the influence of Jewish authority, the name Yahoo, the name Yah, Yahuwah, has been removed from the scriptures. And not only that, Next slide, please. It was Rabbi Abba Saul who prohibited the pronunciation of the Tetragrammaton 
Y-H-W-H, according to its letters. The unbiblical custom of not pronouncing the name appeared around 130 to 160 common era, according to the Talmud. So a rabbi by the name of Abba, Saul, he's not an apostle, doesn't believe in Yahusha. What did he do? Well, he created a doctrine. What is that? Prohibition from the pronunciation of the name of the Father. Is this a biblical teaching? No. It is a Jewish teaching because nowhere in the Old Testament does it prohibit you from declaring or pronouncing the name of the Father. And because of the influence of the Jewish authority, what happened to some translations of Scripture? I want you to take a look at Leviticus 24, 15, and 16. This is in your Bibles. But in the Septuagint, take a look at how it's uh, translated, okay? A man who will curse God will bring the offense, but in order to have named the name of the Lord, he would have to die absolutely. The entire assembly of Israel should stone him with stones. The alien resident as the native, in order to have named the name of the Lord, he would have to die absolutely. So you see the translation of Leviticus 24, 15, 16? When you read it according to this translation, it appears that just to name the name of the Lord, you're going to die absolutely. This is why you're going to be scared to even pronounce the name. But when you actually read the passage, Leviticus 24, 15, and 16, what does it say? Next slide, please, in New King James. When you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin, and whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the stranger as well as him who is born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. So what is the prohibition? Do not blaspheme the name of Yahuwah. What is the uh, Talmudic interpretation of this passage? Merely naming the name of Yahuwah would warrant you to be punished even by death. You see the difference? We believe in what the Bible says. It doesn't prohibit the pronouncing of the name. It prohibits the blasphemy against the name. And so it became worse to the point that, according to a philo, who is a Jewish philosopher, came to the point, it came to the point, to scare the people away so that they will not pronounce the name at all. To name God is worse than to curse him. Can you imagine that? This is why there's this um, preconceived notion that we are not allowed to pronounce the name of the Father. This is what Jewish authorities want you to believe. That's their agenda, the agenda they're pushing. However, what does the Bible actually say? Next slide, please. We talked about this before. Throughout the Holy Scriptures, what are we to do with that name? Acknowledge that name. Know that name. Worship that name. Promote that name. Proclaim that name. Exalt that name. Love that name. Magnify that name. This is throughout the Holy Bible. There's no prohibition in the using of the name. However, there's someone uh, on the internet, Facebook, uh, someone who sent us this. Next slide. Let us bear in mind uh, what God said in Jeremiah 44, 26, and he quoted a passage. But listen to this message from the Lord, all you Judeans now living in Egypt. I have sworn by my great name, says the Lord, that my, that my name will no longer be spoken by any of the Judeans in the land of Egypt. None of you may invoke my name 
or use this oath as surely as the sovereign Lord lives. And then he concludes by making the following commentary. Is it okay if I read a commentary? Okay, after reading that passage, this is his conclusion. That's it. God's declaration is clear about the Tetragrammaton, the four-letter Hebrew name of God. The Lord God says, I have sworn by my great name that my name will no longer be spoken. None of you may invoke my name as surely as the sovereign Lord lives. So in his conclusion, he kind of twists a little bit, right? What did he say? He says, none of you may invoke my name. Is that what the passage says? None of you? What does it actually say? None of the Judeans who live in Egypt. Are you Judean? Do you live in Egypt? Are you counted? No. no, you're not counted there. What else does he say? We know that God lives forever. He is living today and in the future. Therefore, let us not focus ourselves on pronouncing his name, the four-letter Y-H-W-H. Let us remain calling on our God on our native tongue. Let us follow what our Lord Jesus Christ teaches on how to pray to our Lord God. So what else did he say? He says, we know God lives forever. And so long as God lives, we are not to pronounce the name. Is that what it says? No, look at it. Look at the verse again. None of you may invoke my name or use this oath. What is that oath? As surely as the, uh, as the sovereign Lord lives. It doesn't say as surely as the sovereign Lord lives, the name of the Father will never be invoked. That's not what it says. This is why we have to look at the scriptures very carefully. Well, during our time, does God want his name to be called upon? What do you think? Yes. This is why we have Zechariah 13 verse 9. And I shall bring the third into the fire. Who's the third? That's us. After going through the fire, what will happen? And refine them as silver is refined. And try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name. And I shall answer them. I shall say this is my people. While they say. It doesn't say right. What does it say? They will say. When you use the word say, you verbalize the name. What will they say? Yahuwah is my Elohim. Yahuwah is my God. Is it God's will during our time that his name be proclaimed? Absolutely. He wants us to call upon his name. Zechariah, the only one who says that. Joel 2, 31, 32. The sun is turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Before the coming of the great and awesome Yom of Yahuwah. I want to pause there for a while. What does the word Yom mean? Day. So there's going to be the day of Yahuwah. What day is that? Day of judgment. Is it almost judgment day? Yes. God is showing us so many signs, one after another. You have the earthquakes. You have the fires. You have the volcano erupting. You have the sickness spreading from China to the United States. One plague after the other. God is telling us judgment day is about to come. But before that day comes, before the, the day, the yom of Yahuwah comes, what are we going to do? And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of Yahuwah shall be delivered from Mount Zion. And in Jerusalem, there shall be an escape, as Yahuwah has said, and among the survivors whom Yahuwah Pulse, what is another term for survivor? Remnant. So among the remnant, there is still the setting apart work of Yahuwah. Yahuwah 
will call them. And in response to the call of Yahuwah, what will they do? They will call on his name and be delivered. When will this take place? Before the day of judgment will come. This is why, brethren, it is God's will for us not only to know it, but also to call upon that name, that name of Yahuwah. So I want to go back to the question. Next slide, please. Because he mentions uh, Lou White. And I'm not endorsing Lou White just because I use his translation doesn't mean I'm endorsing him. Just like when we use Lamza translation, Mofat translation doesn't mean we're endorsing Mofat or Lamza. They have their own religion. They have their own beliefs. We just happen to use their um, translations. I'm not endorsing any Hebrew scholar. This is why you notice ever since we started our journey together, knowing the name of the Father, I've not mentioned any Hebrew scholar to you, right? I'm not endorsing any gurus to you. Why not? Matthew chapter 23, verses 8 to 10. You must not be called teacher because you are all equal and have only one teacher. And you must not call anyone here on earth father because you have only the one father in heaven. Nor should you be called leader because your one and only leader is the Messiah. Why do I not endorse you to any quote-unquote Hebrew scholar or Bible scholar? Because we only have one teacher. I want to direct you to him. Not me. Not a scholar. Who? The Messiah. He's our one teacher. We need to rely on him and his leadership. This is why I, we endorse him the Messiah, and not any so-called scholar. Next slide, please. And so we go to the last part. He says, uh, what if Mr. White is wrong? Have you ever considered you might be treading uh, dangerous grounds? I hope uh, if Brother John wants to further his studies with Hebrew and the Hebrew tradition, he would do it in a respectable institution or university. Actually, um, a number of us have enrolled uh, in a university, in, well, it's not a university, but we're taking Hebrew classes at the, uh, is it Peretz? Yeah, the Peretz Institution there in, in Texas. And our teacher is, uh, we'll, we'll introduce you next time, but uh, we're studying Hebrew together. Uh, nevertheless, um, when we study Hebrew and when we study Greek or even when we study the Bible, we should be cautious because we are indeed treading dangerous ground by default. You know why? Next slide. Revelation 12, verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Why, by default, are we treading dangerous ground? Because there's what? A deceiver. Who's that? The devil. Who has he deceived? The Bible says the whole world. This is why if I were you, you should question tradition. When people say, well, the majority believe this, that should be a red flag. Why? Because the devil deceives the whole world. What do we need to do? We need to test everything. We should not accept any idea simply because the majority or tradition accepts such a belief. And so there's no perfect translation. There's none. This is why the INC uses many translations. Have you noticed that in the worship service? They're carrying so many Bibles, right? They have one uh, uh, lesson, 
and then they switch using different Bibles because there's so many different translations. We don't use just one translation. Why? Because none of the Hebrew scholars are what? Perfect. None. There's always deficiencies in all the different translations of the Bible. So what do we need to do to make sure that we are not deceived by the enemy, even when we use the scriptures? We follow the interpretation of the Holy Spirit. What is that? 1 Corinthians 2 verse 13. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing. That's the key thing. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And so to uncover, to expose a faulty error in the Bible that has crept in because of scribal error. How do we do that? We compare scriptural truth with scripture. We compare one passage with other passages in the Bible. Why? Because there can be no contradiction in truth. If there's a contradiction, there's something wrong somewhere. And we need to use the scripture to find out what that is. This is why we don't have just one translation. For example, Philippians 2, 5 to 6 in the TEV, it says, He, referring to Jesus, always had the nature of God. That's a faulty translation. Why? Because it contradicts the other passages of the Bible. Romans 9.5, the New King James, it says, Of whom are the fathers? Christ came, what does it say? Who is over all? The eternally blessed God. That's a wrong translation, the New King James, right? Acts 20.28, 20, Church of God. That's wrongly translated because God doesn't have blood, right? Isaiah 24.15, where we get islands from the sea. It says here in the New King James, coastlands of the sea. And in Isaiah 43, 5 down to 6, instead of ends of the earth, it says distant corners of the earth. So there are different translations. What do we need to do so that we can come to the knowledge of the truth? Compare scriptural truth with scriptural truth. This is why we don't have just one translation. We use many translations and compare to make sure we find the truth revealed in Scripture. Let's go to the next question. It's four questions, actually, from this brother or sister I don't know. But the first one is Benito Affleck's account said several times, indirectly though, that you claimed to be the last Elijah. <laughs> is it true, Paul? If it is true, can you discuss or explain further such claim? If it's not true, can you then deny officially her and others' claim? So who is the her there? Is that Brother Benito? So in Brother Benito's account, okay, uh, apparently it's circulating there that I'm claiming that I'm the last Elijah. Okay? So in Brother Benito's account, am I claiming to be the last Elijah? Well... Next slide, please. I am not. Okay, I want you to be <laughs> once and for all. And I hope Brother Benito will post this on his wall. I am not, number one, the third, Elijah. What else? Next slide. I am not the last, Elijah. In case there's a fourth or a fifth or a sixth. I'm not the last. Okay, what else? Next slide. I'm not the kahuli huli hang. Sugo, the very last of the last of the last messengers. I'm not that either. Okay, then who am I? I'm just a minister. Minister. What is my authority? Revelation chapter 7, uh, 2 down to 3. Then I saw another angel. I'm not saying I'm the other angel there. <laughs> right. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice of the four angels 
to whom it was granted to farm the earth and the sea, saying, do not farm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. What is this prophecy about? The work of the messenger. Who was he? Is the other angel or messenger referred to there? Do I believe that? Yes. That's why I got baptized. That's why I went to the ministry. I got the authority to work together with the last messenger. How so? Through the sealing function of the messenger. And because of the sealing function, according to the prophecy, do we have a part in it? Yeah, because he's not the only one doing the work of sealing. What does it say? Until we. We. And I believe that I have a part in that we who has the function and work of sealing the servants of God on their foreheads. Okay. Next slide. It is known, it is a known fact that the names Yahuwah and Yahusha has been in other writings before Yupo. Yes, even as early as the 16th century, Yahuwah has been um, investigated. Okay, so it's not a new thing. It's a known fact, names Yahuwah, Yahusha has been in other writings before Yupo. What is the difference this time? That we are the one who proclaimed it. Did you get the idea, Po, from those earlier writings? Okay, that's a good question. Um, like I mentioned before, I had no intention at all to, actual, to actually preach about the name of the Father and the name of His Son. However, two things bothered me. Two things. I want to share that with you. Two passages of Scripture bothered me for a long, long time. Number one, Exodus 3 verse 15. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, I'm going to read the NIV so that those who are, um, who are, Maybe they don't really like the BYNV version. At least uh, they can look at this passage. God said, also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, L-O-R-D, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. And so the Bible mentions God himself is the one speaking, right? And he mentions something about his name. What is that name, by the way? It's a tetragrammaton, L-O-R-D, hidden by L-O-R-D. It is Yahuwah, that's what I believe, right? And so when God showed to Moses, he said, this is my name. And what did he say about his name? By which I am to be remembered forever from generation to generation. And so I asked myself, do I even know that name? Do you know that name? Does God want us to know that name? Yeah. Because the Bible says it's the name by which he is to be. Remember, can you imagine all of our days serving and worshiping God and in our prayers we proclaim his name. We say we worship your name and then not even know the name. So that bothered me. It's something we have to know from generation to generation. But the one that really pushed me is the next one. Zechariah 13 verse 9, right? Because the prophecy says, us, us, the third group, the third group, that's us. If you believe you're part of the third group, if you believe you're part of the commissioning of the work of Brother Felix Y. Manalo as the last messenger of God, then we have to do this. That's what God wants. What is that? Call on his name. How could you call on his name if you don't know it? And so in the prophecy, what are we going to say? We're going to say, the Lord is my God. It doesn't say the Lord is my God. What does it say? Next slide. It's the name Yahuwah, the Tetragrammaton. We're going to say that. And so those two things kind of what inspired me to share this with all of you because it's biblical, okay? 
Next slide, please. Let's go to questions three and four. How did Ka... Ka-Erdi, uh, how did the family of Ka-Erdi, Ka-Teni, Ka-Angel, Ka-Mor, Ka-Loti, and others react to this? Do they support this poll or do they oppose? Okay, I'm going to be frank with all of you. I have no idea. <laughs> they have, I just want to make clear, because there are those who are saying I'm using their name to teach about the name of Yahuwah and Yahushua. No, I never said that, okay? The family of Brother Iranio Gimanalo, they have nothing to do, nothing to do with the preaching of the names Yahuwah and Yahushua. Do they oppose it? I don't know. Do they support it? I don't know. Okay. Well, how about number four? Did Kalowell, Kafarli, Karaidrin, Raidin, and other defendant ministers believe this? I don't know. I haven't spoken to Kalowell, Kafarli, Karaidin about this issue. However, what I know is this. There are ministers who work together with us who know and support this work. Like who? Kajeriel Nemis, Brother Ernesto Atadero, an elder retired minister. They both believe that the name is Yahuwah and they both believe it should be proclaimed because that's what the prophecy tells us to do. The prophecy which lights our path illuminates what we need to do. Proclaim the name of the Father and of His Son, Yahusha. And so, the last three questions, the last two questions, do they know? I know it's important to some, but I think what truly should matter is not whether or not any minister endorses it. What is, what matters when it comes to matters of faith? Let's read the book of John 4, 39-42. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in Him. Who is the Him? Yahusha, because of the word of the woman who testified. This woman must have been something, right? She had a powerful testimony. If she was alive today, she'd probably have different Facebook accounts. And she'll be testifying left and right, left and right. She'd have lots of friends and influence a lot of people to believe in Yahusha. And so many people in Samaria, in, in Samaria believed in him, in Yahusha, because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Who's the his part there? Yahusha's word. Then they said to the, one, to the woman, now we believe. Not because of what you said. For we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. What should be the basis of our faith? What Yahusha and Yahuwah says. Where can we find that? The Holy Bible. So what should be the basis of our faith? Not what ministers tell you, not what I tell you, but what the Bible tells you. Our faith should be grounded by the gospel, by the words of God, by the Bible. Okay, let's go to the next question. When we pray to our Father, you've done this before. Then switch to pray to our Messiah. Like midway in your prayer, I better pray to the Messiah. <laughs> right? And so you make a switch. And then you forget you're praying to the Messiah and you pray, Father. <laughs> Sometimes that happens. Am I right? It happens. Right? Is that taught in the Bible? Did the Bible instruct people to pray that way? Did the apostles pray directly to our Almighty? Then switch to pray to our Savior. Didn't the apostles pray to our Heavenly Father, to Him alone? 
through our Lord Yahushua's name? That's a good question, right? Because when we pray, even when it comes to a congregational prayer, like what we're going to do later on, I also pray to Yahushua before we end the prayer. Now, is this a, a command? Is this an instruction? I don't believe it is, which is why this question was very difficult. I have to really think about that one. You have, I mean, is it a command of God that you have to pray to both? Because when you look at scripture, what does Yahushua say? In John 16, 23 to 24, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. So we are to ask the father in the name of Yahushua. That much we know. However, is it commanded that we also pray to the Mashiach, Mashiach or the Messiah? It doesn't say that. However, is it wrong? No. What's the proof? Let's go to the next slide. Acts 7, 55 to 60. But he, being full of the Ruach HaKodesh. What is that? Full of the Holy Spirit. Who was this? This was Stephen. He was being... Uh, he was in trial, and if you are in a trial, you're not allowed, according to Jewish law, to use or pronounce the name of Yahuwah. That would mean instant stoning, okay? Instant stoning if you were to name the name of God when you are being tried or being accused of a crime. But he, being full of the Ruach HaKodesh, looked up steadfastly into heaven, and so the glory of Yah and Yahusha standing on the right hand of Yahuwah. And said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the son of Adam standing on the right hand of Yah. Then they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and ran upon him with one accord. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon Yahuwah, and saying, Adonai, Yahusha, receive my ruach. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Adonai, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell. Asleep. So here's an instance of uh, Stephen. When he looked up to heaven, he saw who? Yahuwah and Yahusha sitting at his right hand. He called on Yahuwah, but prayed to who? Yahusha. What did he say to Yahusha? Receive my spirit. What else did he say to his Adonai, to Yahusha? Lay not this sin to their charge. And after that, he died or he fell Asleep. So I don't think there's anything wrong with praying uh, to the Father. At the same time, before you end the prayer, you also pray to Mashiach. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's not specifically commanded. As far as I know, when the, early, when the INC was practicing this, it was not until later on, right? It wasn't practiced in the early parts of the history of the INC. Okay. All right. Let's go to the next question. This is a perplexing question, but it was submitted, so let's go ahead and discuss it. Based on Jeremiah 25.11, Israel was held captive in Babylon. What kind of sin did Israel commit? A or B? Is it because of Jeremiah 23, 26-27? John said, because they forgot the name of God and idolatry. Or is it B? Leviticus 25.3-4, disobedience to Sabbath. In addition... Uh, no pronunciation ever existed for tetragrammaton. This is a known fact. Prove that Yahuwah, the name of your God, small g, <laughs> is not man-made invention. All right, that's a lot of 
lot of questions. Let's go with the first one based on Jeremiah 25, verse 11. What kind of sin did Israel commit? Let's read 25, 11 first. And this whole land shall be in desolation and astonishment. I want you to remember that word astonishment, okay? Desolation and what? Astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon how many years? Seven years. Serve the king of Babylon, meaning they're going to be captives of Babylon, captives of the king for 70 years. What was the reason behind the captivity? We read 25.11. Let's find out the cause. 25.4-7. Take note, we just went up the verse, right? To get the context. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them. But you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. They said, repent now every one of his evil ways and his evil doings and dwell in the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them. And do not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands. And I will not harm you. Yet you have not listened to me says the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. So if we are going to use Jeremiah 25, and we know in 25 verse 11, they, will, they have been appointed to be captives in Babylon. What is the cause of their captivity? It's because they did not heed the words of the prophet. What were, were the words of the prophet? Do not go after other gods to serve them and to worship them. What is that called? idolatry and so because of their idolatry what god what has god decreed in his anger god decreed them to seven years of captivity in babylon and so let's go back to his question and so based on 25 11 itself we already know the answer right but he's making us choose between one of the two is it because of jeremiah 23 26 27 john said because they forgot the name of god and idolatry so let's go to jeremiah 23 26 to 27 uh, next slide, uh, there it is. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Not only did God have a problem with the people themselves, but also the prophets. The teachers were also lying. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor. As their fathers forgot my name for Baal. And because they forgot the name of the father for Baal because of their idolatry, what has God decreed to them? We'll stay in Jeremiah 23, 26, uh, 23, 26, 27. Let's go to Jeremiah 39, 40. Therefore, because of their sin, idolatry, because they forgot the name of the father, and they went after Baal and served them just like their fathers. And so what did God say? Therefore, behold, I, even I, will utterly forget you and forsake you and the city. That I gave you and your fathers and will cast you out of my presence. And I will bring an everlasting reproach upon you and a perpetual shame which shall not be forgotten. And so because of what they did, they forgot his name. And because they turned to idolatry, to Baal, God says you're going to go to perpetual shame. Your city will be destroyed, will be cast out of his presence. They will go to a captivity in Babylon. Okay, so let's go to, to uh, the question again. So I select part A. Next, yeah, part A. 
But he's giving us another choice. Leviticus 25, 3 down to 4. Disobedience to Sabbath. Is it disobedience? I was curious of why he wrote, uh, I mean, he put Leviticus 25, 3 to 4. So let's go ahead and take a look. It says here, six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. Please try to help me understand. I'm trying to process this. I see no connection whatsoever with Leviticus 25, 3-4 and Jeremiah chapter 23 and even chapter 25. Do you see any, any connection? Because when you read the context, there's no mention of Sabbath at all. What is mentioned is idolatry, forgetting the name, Baal. Right? And so next slide. And so I choose A. That's my answer, A. It's because of the idolatry. It's because they forgot the name of the Father. Is that backed up by the Bible? Absolutely. From the verse that has been mentioned. Prove that Yahuwah is not a man-made invention. We will later. Not now. Later. Let's go to the next uh, question, please. Uh, these next questions was is being passed out by, propagated by an INC minister. Not going to mention his name because I love him. <laughs> He's a minister. And so I'm assuming um, this has the backing of INC. And so the first one is the teaching about the commissioning of the messenger based on Revelation 7 to the 3 was present in the ministerial lessons taught by the Sugo in 1915, 1916. Brother Felix Waimanala also successfully defended this position in a debate with Bishop Jussi Makada in 1919. Therefore, the doctrine on Pasugo was taught even earlier than 1915 and not just years later. Okay, The teaching concerning the humanity and non-deity of Christ was successfully defended by the Sugo in a debate with Reverend Amando Tanko in Malabon in 1914. This doctrine, therefore, is known by the brethren by that time or even earlier contrary to Dizon's claim that the doctrine was just taught years later. Okay, all right, so I'm glad he clarified that, gave us dates. I did not know the dates, but he knows the dates. Nevertheless, it confirms what we said. What is that? Next slide. Not all biblical truth that we believe in today, right, was revealed at the same time. Isn't that true? The dates can be changed. I mean, I don't know the exact dates. Nevertheless, it's still true. As a matter of fact, the whole reason why this topic was even brought up was to prove a point. What is that? That there are doctrines that we believe in that was not taught by the Sugo. For example, did the Sugo ever reveal INC gathering in the far west? Did he? No. Did he reveal about Rome? No. How about the prophecy in Jerusalem? No. How about the prophecy in Greece? No. Did the Sugo reveal about the prophecy of the second woe of the book of Revelation, Revelation, Revelation chapter 11? No. It was not taught by the Sugo. Do we believe it? Yes. Why? It's in the Bible. It was taught by Brother Iranio G. Manalo. And so if you're going to say, well, we cannot believe it because it was not taught by the Sugo, then are you saying Brother Iranio G. Manalo is the last of the Sugo? Do you see the point? Why do we believe it? Because when it was taught by Brother Ryan Manal, because it's in the Bible. Isn't that the same thing with, with what we're doing now? Just because the Sugo is no longer with us, it doesn't mean that the restoration work of God 
will stop. It goes on until we reach perfection and completion of our faith. Okay? All right, let's go to the next slide. He continues on. Uh, Dizon's position is also flawed in using the terms not yet revealed at that time, which I guess I did mention that, right? Uh, the epistemological distinction in divine knowledge is expounded as follows. So read this. Revelation is the act of or process of giving his law or command to man. God gave to man his laws in different ways. For example, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Okay? Inspiration is the act of committing to writing all the laws and decrees given by God. For example, God commanded Jeremiah, the prophet, to write in the book the words of God. Canonization is the process of gathering God's written laws into a single compendium. The Hebrew canon of the Holy Scriptures is the evidence of this. Transmission is the process of translating God's word into different languages or dialects for the purpose of evangelization and religious education. Last is illumination, which pertains to the process of spreading the words of God through his appointed messengers or preachers. So this whole definition of how you gain divine knowledge separated into how many parts? Revelation, inspiration, canonization, transmission, and illumination came from Rivera, Leonides, and Manyabong Jensen. Okay? Who are they? I have no idea. But he used it. Okay? He used it. So that he can say, when I said not yet revealed at that time, the word revealed I used there is wrong. Does that make sense? First of all, when I said not yet revealed at that time, was I referring to Rivera, Leonides, and Manyebog's uh, definition of revelation? No. What definition was I using when I said not yet revealed at that time? Matthew 10, 26, 27. But don't be afraid of those who threaten you. For the time is coming when everything that is covered will be what? Revealed. That's the word I'm using. Not uh, Rivera and Manyebong's definition of revealed. You know, I mean, it probably has its uses, but I'm not, I, I, never, I, I don't even know who they are. So I never use that, okay? So everything that's covered will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. So Yahusha, our Lord, is telling us time will come. Time will come. In other words, there's a time when everything is covered. But there's going to be a time when everything that is covered will be what? Revealed. That's the word revealed that I referred to when I said not everything was revealed at the same time. The process, right? In fact, the word revealed, what does it mean? Next slide. It comes from the word, the Hebrew word G6, uh, the Greek word G601. Apocalyptos, what does that mean? Next slide. It means to take off the cover, to disclose. Remember, it says, when everything that's covered will be revealed. You know what has been covered for a long, 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 long time? The name of? The Father, Yahuwah, has been covered for such a long time. But Yahushua says, time will come when everything that's been covered, it will be revealed. In what sense? Not in a sense that God is going to show up and show it to you directly. No, we're not using Rivera's uh, definition. We're using the biblical definition. It's going to be uncovered so that we can see it. 
That's what it means, okay? But uh, he goes on from there after using Rivera's definition. He says, these are the mistakes that we made. Next slide, please. It is God who does, does the act or process of revelation according to his definition. I, I accept that, okay? The act of evangelization of the messenger up to the present church administration is the process of what? Illumination. So you take what has been revealed, what has been uh, uh, written, what has been canonized, you take all that and you use it, you illuminate from that. This is the work of the messenger and the work of the church administration. Do, I, do we believe that based on their definition? Okay, we can accept that. No problem with that. Number two, neither he nor his Yahusha Christology can claim continuity with the messenger because these on himself is not a God-appointed messenger or preacher. So he's telling that we cannot claim continuity. So let's go ahead and look at that. To claim continuity, we need to be sharing in the work of the messenger. What is that? Illumination. What does it mean to illuminate? To bring light. What brings illumination in our minds and in our hearts? Let's read the book of Psalms 119.105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. What brings illumination? The word of God. What parts of the words of God bring illumination? 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So what has been given by inspiration of God so that we can do the work of illumination? All scripture. What if... We will say this prophecy here, this scripture here, we cannot use because it was never preached or taught by the sugo. What are we doing? We are covering the source of illumination, right? If we say that. Is that the work of the sugo? No. What's the work of the sugo? Illumination. What does that mean? Use all of scripture because all scripture brings light into our minds and into our hearts. What specifically, what word in scripture specifically can be used as a light? Let's read the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What among the different kinds of words of God in all scripture do we really need? Because it's like a light. The prophetic word confirmed prophecy that has been fulfilled do we have prophecies that have been fulfilled yes isaiah 1 8 9 and the rest of it zechariah 13 and it's, it's completion of it these are prophecies we cannot deny they serve as a light and so if we'll say do not listen do not look at those parts of the prophecies what are we doing we're hiding we're putting the word of god and putting it under a bushel putting it under a basket we're not supposed to do that we're supposed, we're supposed to cause the Bible to shine. We need to use all of scriptures to keep up with the work of the sugo. What is my connection with the sugo? Revelation 7, 2 to 3. I already mentioned that to you. What is the spirit of the work of the sugo? A book of Revelation. Uh, Acts, that's actually Acts 3, 19, 21. Repent, therefore, and turn back for the blotting out of your sins in order that times of refreshing might come from the presence of Adonai, and he sends Yahusha Mashiach pre-appointed for you, whom heaven needs to receive until the times 
of restoration of all things, of which Allah spoke through the mouth of all his Kadesh prophets sins of old. This was the passage used by Brother Erdi about what needs to happen before judgment day can come. What is that? Everything has to be what? Restored. This is why it's called the third Elijah. What is the spirit of the work of the third Elijah? To restore not some things, to restore not most things, but to restore what? All things. When it says all things, could it possibly include the name? I believe so. Why do we believe that? Because it's an important part of who we are. We're the people of God. We don't know the name of God. How can you be the people of God? You call him father, you don't know his name. How can you be a child of God? Right? This is why in the book of Ephesians 5.27, why do we need to keep in the process of restoration? He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Perfect. Can you imagine? We're going to go to God and go to his son. By the way, what is your real name? That would be a fault, isn't it? A blemish. You see, in the process of restoration, we head towards perfection. That's the spirit of the work of the sugo. The work of the sugo, the spirit of it, is not complacency. What is it? Restoration towards what? Perfection. And that's what we're doing. We cannot stop. We have to move forward because that's the spirit that God has given the sugo that we adopt as members of the Church of Christ in these last days. Let's go on. Uh, next slide, please. He says, uh, he says, this is what I said. Uh, do not believe in what I say. Believe in what we have read in the DYMV and at Sefer translation. Did I ever say that? <laughs> First of all, he added some words there. That's what you call deception, right? When you add things that I never said. I never said that. Did I do not believe what I say? Believe in what the Bible says. That's what I said. But for the sake of argument, let's follow along, okay? A critical-minded listener would pause and think, how can we believe what you have just read in the BYND and at Sefer when it was you? You yourself said not to believe in what you say. The listener would be bewildered with the strange loop reasoning. And so he said, if the listeners would listen critically and I say, do not believe in me, believe in what the Bible says, but I'm saying for you to believe the Bible, then it's going to be a strange loop reasoning, right? Which makes sense if you don't really understand what it means. And so if we apply this type of logic with what the Sugo said, what did the Sugo say? Next slide, please. This is what the Sugo said. Do not believe in Manalo. The words that I teach you are not mine. So if you apply that logic, then what he is claiming is that the Sugo is also engaged with strange loop reasoning. You see, he doesn't know what it means. What does it mean? It simply means do not trust in Manalo. Trust in the Bible that Manalo reads. That's what it means. And that's, what, uh, that's also what I meant. That's what we're trying to get at. Do not believe in the preacher. Believe in what is being preached. Do not believe in the one preaching. Believe the word of God that's being preached. That's the essence of it. And so I, I hope he understands it this time. Uh, next, uh, here we can easily spot Dizon's contradiction. Okay. At one hand, he says that the New Testament was written in Greek, and on another, he says that Jesus' name must be in Dizon's own interpretation of Paleo-Hebrew. A critical-minded listener would ask, then why don't you stick on the actual name 
given in the extant manuscripts or what they had back then, which were uh, Greek and Aramaic, Jesus for Greek and Yeshua for Hebrew, instead of speculating back further to Paleo-Hebrew. If a Filipino person is given name in 2002 is John, would you force him to be called Juan since the Spanish conquistadores came first before the American colonizers, a time context wherein John is not even born? Of course not. Wait a minute. Are you sure about that? Of course not. It actually depends on the father, right? If the father wants to use a name that was used before, one, in honor of his great-great-granddad, then even if he lives in 2002, it's going to be what? One, not John. Do you get it? See, it's about the one giving the name and receiving the name, especially the one giving the name. For example, you know, next slide. My daughter's name is Jenna. That's how it's spelled, J-E-N-A. What's the common spelling of Jenna today? Double N. It's like, Dad, why did you call me Jenna with a one N? <laughs> so in our time, it's J-E-N-N-A. But because I'm the father, I'm the one who chose the name and gave it to her, I gave that name because it has a meaning. You know what the meaning is? I actually haven't told her yet why it's J-E-N-A. You know what it is? J is for John. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> right? Anna actually stands for my mom's name, Esther Linda Nadella. This is why there's no double N, because then Esther, Linda, Nadella would be gone. That's so it's only one N, Jenna with one N. And so there's a meaning behind that name that goes and that transcends the culture of the time, because the time says J-E-N-N-A, right? Not J-E-N-A. So the point is, when it comes to the name, I want you to keep this in mind. Next slide. The one giving the name? Is the father. The father giving the name is not just any father, <laughs> right? It's not just some person from the Philippines or some Hebrew person in Jerusalem or in Bethlehem. Who is the father giving the name? God. Then you're going to change it. You're going to apply what's during the time of the, uh, uh, the first century names. You're going to apply that to God? Come on. You don't do that. What else? Next slide, please. The name being given is not just any name. It's the name that comes from the Father's name, a name that is above all other names. You consider those things. This is why the scholarship, the academics involved with the naming schemes during that time is not relevant. Why? Because of the one who chose the name and because of the name that was chosen. Do you get it? All right, let's go to the next one. A concurrence of linguistic experts, Bible scholars, and native speakers Point to Yeshua in Hebrew and Yesus in Greek instead of these ones, Yahusha. There is no Hebrew, and these are his points. There's no Hebrew letter He in Yeshua. Well, that should be a dead giveaway. There's no Hebrew letter He. So what does that mean? If there's no, if there's no Hebrew letter He, you know what that means? They took out the name of Yahoo. Automatically, you should begin. Why did they do that? They took out the name Yahoo, so you already know this is not the right name, right? There's no Hebrew letter He in Yeshua, that's the Hebrew script there in the Kaboris Codex, the Yonan Codex, as well as the Old Syriac and the Du Tilet, making Yahoo a rendition non biblical, really. 
Number two, New Testament manuscripts utilize a nomina sacra, sacred name, for Jesus, you, and nev never for any person with the name Yahusha. The correct transliteration of Yod, Kirekshin, Shuruk, Furtiv, Patayin, oh, Patayin, I want to pronounce that right, is expounded or spelled in English as follows. Uh, Y-E-S with inverted circumflex above or Shua with a sign of a rough breathing and not Yahusha. So Yeshua is their conclusion. So he says, because of all these linguistic experts, Bible scholars, native speakers, remember what I said before? About tradition? What do you need to do? You better be careful with tradition, right? Most likely they have been deceived. And I want you to think about this. These linguistic experts and native speakers, next slide, these linguistic experts and native speakers reject Yahusha, Jesus, as the Messiah. And you're going to rely on them? Right? What else? Next slide. These Bible scholars he speaks of, they believe Yahusha, Jesus is God. All these Bible scholars, they can give you theology, volumes and volumes of work, which supposedly prove that Jesus is God. You're going to believe that? Of course not. Right? And so why are you going to use that argument? <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. What else? Next slide. You know why these linguistic experts, Bible scholars, and native speakers all point to Yeshua? You know why? Next slide. Because they're looking at the wrong word. <laughs> they're focusing on the wrong name. What name are they focused on? The name that came after what? The captivity. They're not focused on the restored name. Why? Because when you do academic research, when you go to an institution, a university, you leave God out of it. This is why when you do studies, like for example, we're trying to explain the Exodus in terms of a scientific point of view. You try to explain the miracles from a scientific point of view, right? You come up with different explanations because you can't put God in it. Because there will be anti-scholarly. They will call you, well, you're not fit to be a scholar because you put in God in there. You know, as people of God, we don't rely on human wisdom. We rely on what? Spiritual wisdom. So these scholars, they're looking at the name that God had nothing to do with. They're looking at the name, not the one chosen by God, but the result of what? The captivity. See that name right there? Yeshua. Yeshua. Originally. The one chosen by God. What is that word? Next slide. It is that word right there. You see the difference? That is Yahusha. Let's go back to, to the, the, the slide. Let's go back. You see, that's what they have. It's shortened. They, they remove the what? The Yod. Uh, the Yod is there. They remove the, the He and the Wow, right? They removed Yahu. And so it became Yeshua. The, the, the Yah became Yeh. And the U, the U became O, okay? And so let's go back to the next slide. This is supposed to be, it's supposed to be this. It's a compound name with the name of Yahuwah and also uh, the, the, the verb which means to save, okay? Next slide. And so the shortened form, the reason why they use the shortened form is to remove the name of, they call it Yahweh here, but to remove the name of Yah, Yah. Who? This is why it's no longer Yahusha. It's what? Yeshua. Very different. When did this happen? Next slide. The yellow is Yahusha. The green is 
Yeshua, which is what scholars are fixated on, not this, the name that is given by God. And so they come up with, this happened after when? The exile, okay? And what is a name? How is this manifested in the Bible? Nehemiah 8 verse 17, he mentions, the Bible mentions, Yeshua, son of Nun, right? This was after the exile. But what is the actual name of this Yeshua, son of Nun? Next slide, Numbers 13, 16. It's actually what? Yahusha. And I want to direct your attention now to what Moses did right here. Okay? Because this is key to knowing the name of Yahusha. What did Moses do? He changed the name of Husha to what? Yahusha. You know when you do something like a change name? It's something significant. There are no accidents in the Bible. There's always a purpose. Always a purpose. What is that? God is hinting at the name of the one typified by Joshua or Yahusha. Because Joshua, the son of Nun, Yahusha, son of Nun, he delivered the people of Israel to the promised land. There's going to be another figure who will deliver the people of God to the real promised land. His name is Yahusha also. Do you see that? So what's the restored name? Yahusha. During the time of the captivity or after the captivity, who's also, who also was named Yeshua. Next slide. Ezra 3.2. This Yeshua, son of Yotzadak and his brothers and priest, the high priest, his name was Yeshua. Right? But we know Yeshua. Wait a minute. This is the name after the captivity. And so how is it going to be restored? That's when you turn to prophecy. See, the Bible scholars and the linguistic scholars, they don't turn to this prophecy. They look at the academics involved, right? The linguistics of that time without consulting the prophecy. What does the prophecy say? There's going to be a man and he will be high priest. He'll be called the branch. He will sit on his throne. So he's going to be king and priest called the branch. Who is that? The Savior. And look at the spelling of the name. Next slide, please. Yahusha. Yahusha. Yahusha is the restored name. That's the name God chose even before Mashiach was born. Did you get that? This is why you don't apply the names during the time of the first century because that name is ancient, determined by God, and it's his name in his son's name. Next slide, please. This is why when the name was given, it was Yahusha, given by an angel, right? From God. Because if that didn't happen, they probably would have used Yeshua. So God made sure you're going to use a restored name. What is that? Yahusha. And that's the name that is above all names. Next slide. Matthew 1, 6 to 7. And so that name Yeshua, Yahusha is a restored name. An indication that God has restored his people, because look at before the captivity, it was what? Yahoo. You see the Yahoo? After the captivity, there's no more Yahoo. Until finally the Messiah comes and restores the name. What's the name? Yahoo. Shah. That's why Yahoo Shah is the correct name. Okay, let's go to the next slide. All right, someone is sharing. Uh, sister, watch Jeff Benner's videos. This is my name, parts one and two. If Yahuwah is the name of God, it must have a meaning in Hebrew. 
but it does not. Are you sure? All Hebrew names must have meaning. He said, Yiweh has a meaning. Okay, so you can watch those videos. Uh, you go to YouTube and look up Jeff Benner and look at uh, the nature and name of YHWH and Yeshua. Okay, just look it up and you can watch those two videos. Well, what did he say in those videos? Next slide. He said, in my opinion, the pronunciation of the name Tetragrammaton is what? Yiweh. That's a new one. Yiweh. Okay. Not Yahweh. Not Yehovah. Not Jehovah. Not Yahuwah. But what? Yiweh. Well, how did he make or formulate a conclusion which he says is his opinion? How did he come up with that? Let's go to the next slide. He uses Exodus 3, 14 to 15. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, which we know is the Tetragrammaton, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. So he used his passage to come up with the name. What did he use? He used I am. You see that? I am has sent me to you. What is the Hebrew of the word I am? It is Haya, it's from the root word Haya. Next slide, right? I am who I am has a, is a dynamic meaning. And so it could mean all of this. I will exist because I will exist. I exist because I exist. I am who I am, which is common. I will be who I will be. I am, I am that which exists. It comes from I am who I am, depicted by the Hebrew words, Eheye, Asher, Eheye. Okay, so where is I am there? It's Eheye. The word Eheye means I am. So he took the word, the root word, Haya, which came, which where he derived Eheye, Haya, right? And then he came up with different points of view. Next slide. First person of uh, Haya is Eye. So Eye is a Hebrew word. Second person is Tie. Third person is Yiye. He is. And so he says the name could be Yiye, which is he is. However, he also said, he added, Haya has an equivalent Hebrew word. What is that? Next slide. Haya and Hawa. Okay. Haya means I am. Hawa means I am. They both mean the same thing. I am. So instead of using Haya, he used Hawa. And he looked at different points of view. And he looked at the third person point of view. And it is Yi. Where, which is he is. Therefore, the pronunciation of the of the name of God is Ye Where, the third person point of view of I am or Ha Wa. And he says, next slide. All Hebrew names are words with meaning. Therefore, names like Jehovah, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yehovah, etc., mean nothing in Hebrew. And he said, this is my opinion. Okay. I want to give us our point of view. First of all, to, to point out some of the possible errors. I don't want to you know, sound arrogant or anything, but in my point of view, Exodus 3, 14 and 15, when we look at that, the name that was given by God, which is mentioned like 7,000 times, is it I am? Is that the name? No, it's a tetragrammaton. He didn't say my name is I am. He didn't say that. He didn't say my name is I am who I am. He didn't say that. That's a description of the name. 
That's the definition of the name. This is why the name that he gave should match the definition, right? He didn't say, my name is a third person of I am. He didn't say that. He said, I am has sent me to you. It's a description of who he is. The self-existent one. I am. That's Haya. Okay? And so we're going to Yahuwah. We'll look at Yahuwah, and we will use the words that he used to get Yahuwah. Is that okay? He used these two words, if you still remember, Haya and Hawa. Okay? What do those two words mean? Haya means what? I am. What does Hawa mean again? I am also. Next slide, please. So we have Haya and Hawa. So I am, I am. What are we looking for? The word who. What is the Hebrew of the word who? Huh? It's Asher. Also, it is who. Strong's Hebrew 1931. He, who, him, same, such, this, wherein, which, who, the same meaning as Asher. So let's plug that in. Next slide. You got Hawahaya, Hawa. These are the root verbs, remember, Haya and Hawa. And so what do you get? Haya, who, Hawa. I am, who, I am. Look at that word. Haya, who, Hawa. Drop the prefixes, ha. Those are prefixes. Drop it. What do you get? Ya, who, wa. Right? What does Yahuwah mean? I am who? I am. Did we use the Hebrew words he used? Yes. Does it have a meaning? Yes. What does it mean? I am who? I am. This is why Yahuwah is the name, in my opinion. <laughs> right? All right, let's go to the next one, which is also a Jeff Benner video, the pronunciation of the name. Let's go to, in that video, he mentions different trans, uh, diff, he, he starts out with telling you every language has a grammar and a pronunciation guide, okay? Which is true, right? But the grammar he uses is the modern Hebrew not the one during the time of the Bible, and he will admit that. And so he comes up with different variations of names. Next slide. Yeva, Yehova, Yehovi, Yevi, Yehovi, Yevi. There's a lot of different combinations that you can come up with using the rules of Hebrew pronunciation, okay? And so where did he get these different pronunciations? Next slide. He said in his website, you can go to his website, in the Masoretic Hebrew text, which include the Nikodot, we find six different spellings for the name of God. So to come up with these list of six different spellings of the name of God, he used a system of dots, which is called the Nikodot. The Nikodot was invented by the Masoretes centuries after the time of Yahusha. Okay? What is the Nikodot? Next slide. Introduction of the Nikodot. This is all on his website, by the way. Go to his website. Around 1000 AD. That's a long, long time after the time of Yahusha on earth. A group of Jewish scribes called Masorites developed a system of dots, dashes, called Nikudot, singular Nikud, that were placed above and below the letters to represent all the vowel sounds. These inserted vowels most likely provide to us the pronunciation of Hebrew at that time. Below in the Hebrew text of Genesis 1-1, written in the Aramaic alphabet. So in the original scriptures, there's no dots. Right? In 1080, they started putting dots. You see the bottom has dots? What is that? It's pronunciation guide. It's called the, the Nikodot. Okay, what did he say about the Nikodot system? Next slide. As I mentioned previously, the ancient pronunciation of Hebrew may have been lost to us over time. 
but it can be assumed that the vowel sounds inserted into the text provide us the pronunciations of Hebrew at that time, 1000 AD. So, he, you know, he probably, he say, he's saying there's doubt about the pronunciation, even as late as 1000 AD. But the question is, is the traditional pronunciation of 1000 AD the same as it was in 1000 BC? What do you think? That's like 2000 years ago, 2000 year difference. It's going to change. Unfortunately, there's no way to answer this question. Because the early manuscripts, when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they saw the early manuscripts, it had no dots. There was no pronunciation guide. It's different from the Hebrew that we have today. Different. This is why you can't use that system and apply it for the name of God. So what does he say? Was the name, next line, was the name of God pronounced these six different ways? Probably not. For over 2,000 years, Jews have forbidden anyone from pronouncing the name. So rather than placing the correct Nikodot in the four-letter name, they place a Nikodot from the words Adonai, Elohim, into four letters of the name. The purpose of that is so that when they read it, when they come across the name, they say either Adonai or they say Elohim. But the translators, they used the vowels from Adonai and Elohim, and they inserted it into the tetragrammaton to form a hybrid name like Yehovah. Or Jehovah. Okay, that's where it came from. So, what was his conclusion? The bottom line is there are many possibilities for the original pronunciation of the name, and all we can do is make educated guesses. I am often asked what I believe the original pronunciation was, and my educated guess is we talked about it. What is it? Yiwe. See my video title. This is my name. So, I hope you are able to see when it comes to the name. When it comes to the scholar, scholarly work, the academic word, academic work, there's so many different variations, right? Any scholar can defend one name. There's so many scholars that defend Yahweh. I know because I looked at all the different names. And you'll be saying to yourself, my goodness, how are we supposed to know? There's so many scholars that defend Jehovah. There's so many scholars that defend Yehovah. There's so many scholars that defend Yahweh. And now I guess Yiwe, that's a new one to me, right? So all these scholars, they can come up with different ways to defend the name, right? Which is why people say, forget it, forget it. But you know what? I want to share with you um, a recent uh, scholar, Encyclopedia Britannica. It says here in volume 10, Yahuwah, the personal name of the El of the Israelites, the Masoretes, Jewish biblical scholars of the Middle Ages, replaced the vowel signs that had appeared above or beneath the consonants of YHWH with the vowel signs of Adonai or of Elohim. Thus, the artificial name, Jehovah, Yehovah, came into being. Although Catholic scholars after the Renaissance and Reformation periods used the term Jehovah for YHWH, in the 19th and 20th centuries, biblical scholars again began to use the form Yahuwah. Thus, this pronunciation of the tetragrammaton was never really lost. Greek transcriptions also indicate that YHWH should be pronounced Yahuwah. The Jehovah's Witnesses themselves, those who researched the name. That's why their organization is called what? Jehovah's Witnesses. Do you know what they say in their book? Next slide. This is the kingdom interlinear translation of the Greek scriptures. They say, they say this is a Jehovah's Witness book. While inclining to view 
the pronunciation Yahuwah as the more correct way. We have retained the form Jehovah because of people's familiarity with it since the 14th century. Moreover, it preserves equally with other forms. The four letters of the Tetragrammaton JHV, and even the Jehovah's Witnesses believe the more correct way is Yahuwah. Again, you can find experts and gurus that will defend one name and then defend another name, okay? And so I want you to remember this. If you're going to leave with one message, this is the message I want, you, I want to leave with. I want you to leave with. This is it. There's, every scholar is going to change. Okay? Every scholar. Always remember. They're using human knowledge. Human wisdom. This is why when you have all these conflicting data from different scholars, people say, you cannot know the name, right? And so what I want you to understand is this. Our faith in the name of the Father will not be based on scholarship of human beings. It cannot be. Because if that's the case, then our faith is based upon their human wisdom. Do you want your faith to be based upon their human wisdom? No. Does it mean we cannot know the name? We can. Why? Why do I believe? We can know the name of the Father. Let's read the book of 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. When it says complete, will he know the name of the Father? Yes. When it says complete, will he know the name of the Son? Yes. But what must be the basis? of our knowledge that will complete us so that we will be able to worship God and be complete. Scripture. I want your faith in the name of the Father to be based on Scripture in the Bible itself. Okay? It's in the Bible. Do you believe that the name of the Father is actually in the Bible? Yeah. It's there like 7,000 times. Right? But there are those who say, we lost the pronunciation. We lost the pronunciation. Do you think that's true? Do you know why we did not lose the pronunciation? God did something to make sure we don't lose the pronunciation. You know what he did? I want you to think about it. What do you think God did to make sure that we would never lose the pronunciation? What did he do? <laughs> huh? Oh, my wife is so... She got it. Next slide. Number 6, 22-27. Yahuwah spoke to Musha, as Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, This is how you bless the children of Israel. Say to them, Yahuwah bless you and guard you. Yahuwah make his face shine upon you and show favor to you. Yahuwah lift up his face upon you and give you shalom. Thus they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I myself shall bless them. You think God knew? about what the Jews are going to do? Of course. Did he find a way to preserve the pronunciation of his name? Yes. That's why he commanded his people, put my name on your children. <laughs> put my name on your children. This is why in Daniel, when they were in captivity, what did he say? Daniel 9.19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, O my God, do not delay. Because your city... And your people are called by your name. What does it mean when it says your city? 
Next slide, it comes from the Hebrew word ir, which means city town, or population of a city. So the population of the city of God, the people, will be called after his name. Is that true? Next slide. There are some 100 names of Yisrael. If you look at the Holy Scriptures, you will find all these names. Yasha Yahu, Chepan Yahu, Nekem Yahu, Mika Yahu. All the major prophets have the name Yahu. 72 that end with Yahu, 27 that begin with Yahu, one with Yahu in the middle. And so the name Yahu, which is the essential name of God, is found where? In the names of God's people. This is why. We know how to pronounce it. Nobody debates concerning how you pronounce the name of Isaiah. Everyone agrees. It's Yahoo. It's not debatable. It's Yahoo. So what does that tell you? Any name. This is why from now on, brethren, it doesn't matter what scholarships, what scholarly evidence they come up with, what linguistical evidence they come up with. If it doesn't start with Yahoo, I'm going to throw it out. And I want to make life easier for you. You're going to probably run across different names. If it doesn't start with Yahoo, throw it out. If it starts with Yahoo, it has a fighting chance. Because it has to have the name Yahoo. Because that's the name of the Father. Okay? Well, wait a minute. How about the last part of Yahoo? How is that pronounced? Did God provide for that? Yeah. Let's go back to Daniel. It says, your city and your people are called by your name. What's the name of the people of God? Yahuda. Next slide. Yahuda and Yahuwah are familiar. Just take out the D. What do you get? Yahuwah. And so it's in the Bible, right? Do you want to know how to pronounce the name of God? Yes. It's in the Bible. Yahuwah. Why are we sure? Because the Bible tells us the pronunciation guy is in the people of God who bear his name. Yahuwah. Why? This is why, brethren, there's no need for us to doubt it. However, just to make sure, those who are watching and are sitting on the fence concerning the name Yahuwah, the name Yahusha, this is what I want you to do. Next slide, please. Next slide after that. The Bible says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Why not go to your God privately in a room, kneel before him, open your heart to him, and ask him, Father, is your name Yahuwah? Ask him. I, I challenge you to do that by yourself in a room. Ask him, is your name Yahuwah? Pray to him. Because the Bible says if you need wisdom, ask him. You see, brethren, I believe we can be complete if we will use all of scriptures and if we will ask him for wisdom to use the scriptures. He will reveal your name, his name to you. And once you know his name, we have a responsibility. What is that? Next slide. 2 Timothy 2.19. However, the solid foundation of Yahuwah stands firm having this seal. Yahuwah knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Mashiach turn from wickedness. We know the name Yahuwah, the name that he gave to his son Yahusha. If you know that name and you name that name, you have a responsibility. What is that? 
turn away from wickedness. Why? Because you represent that name now. We represent that name wherever we go. If we call his name Yahuwah, Yahusha, and then we do something wicked, or we post on Facebook curses, we're going to blaspheme that name. You go to a casino, you go to a, a place where we shouldn't be hanging out, and then we call him Yahuwah and Yahusha, then we're blaspheming the name of the Father. And so we have to live a way of life befitting the name of Yahuwah, the name of Yahusha. But also be prepared though. If you, if you mention that name, if you use that name, if you believe that name, what is the warning of Apostle Peter? 1 Peter 4.14. If you are insulted for the name of Mashiach, you are blessed. Because the Ruach of esteem, the spirit of glory, and the spirit of Allahim, the spirit of God, rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is praised. You know, brethren, every single time we're insulted because we believe in the name of Yahusha, the name of Yahuwah, the Bible says you're blessed. Initially, you might be angry, right? You might be upset, which is a perfectly human, natural response. But as people of God, we must not be judgmental. You know, just because we know the name doesn't mean we're more special than those who don't want to use the name. I don't want this to turn into, if you don't use the name, you're not going to be saved. Did we ever say that? We never said that. We never said, if you don't use the name Yahuwah, if you don't use the name Yahusha, you're not going to be saved. We never said that. What did we say? The prophecy said, we will call on the name of Yahuwah. And that's what we're going to do. If you choose not to do that, that's okay. That's okay. You don't have to do it. We're not going to think any less of you. And brethren, please, do not think that we're better than any other people just because we know the name Yahuwah. It's not about knowing it. It's about living in honor of it. Because we represent them now. And when you do that, you're going to be insulted. How should we respond? We should respond with a blessing. Never engage in a quarrel with those who reject the name. If they reject the name, Yahushua says, just cast the dust off your feet and go to the next one. That's it. Okay? You should not be surprised though. This is happening to us. Why? Let's read one more passage before we pray. Matthew 23, 37, 39. Yerushalim, Yerushalim. Killing the prophets and stoning those who were sent to her. How often I wish to gather your children together. The way a hen gathers her chickens under her wings. But you would not see your house is left to you laid waste. For I say to you, from now on, you will show on you shall by no means see me until you say, Blessed is he who is coming in the name of Yahuwah. The one speaking there is Yahusha, our Lord, our Messiah. He came to deliver the people of Israel, Jerusalem. But they rejected him. They rejected his name. They insulted him. They even killed him. But when he looked upon the city, he wept. He should have been angry. When you and I are insulted because of the name, we feel angry, right? Yahusha, when he was betrayed, when they were angry, insulted him. You know what he felt? He felt compassion. He wept for the city. Why? Oh, why, Jerusalem? Why? 
I wish you would have allowed me to gather you together like chickens under her wings. And he said, until you say, blessed is he who is coming in the name of Yahuwah, I cannot come back. You see the compassion and the love of Yahusha? That's the love we need to possess too, brethren. Do not be angry with those who reject the name. Have compassion on them. Do not impose our will on them. Understand them. We're no better than they are. We're all sinners before our God. He alone decides who will be saved. And so we who bear his name, let us respond with compassion, with love, never with hate. Never with hate. Because Yahusha, who was killed by them, said, If only, if only, you would have responded. He wept for them. We must do the same as people of God. Let us properly represent the name of Yahuwah, Yahusha. If we're insulted, oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Because we're sharing the suffering of our Mashiach. And that means more than gold. That means more than precious stones. To suffer because of the name of Mashiach means everything for us. That is what gives us the power from on high. That will give us the strength to go on. Brethren, let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father. Yes. Our God, Yahuwah. Yes. Your people from different parts of the world yes. are gathered together yes. to listen to your message, yes. to speak to us through your spirit. Yes. You comforted us. Yes. We have faith in you. Yes. We have faith in your name. Yes. We believe the scriptures are complete. They are sufficient to let us understand and yes. know who you are, yes. including your precious name. Amen. Thank you so much. We believe judgment day is at hand. Yes. Persecution, hatred, and opposition. Yes. They are the works of the enemy yes. to try and hinder us. Yes. We're but human beings, sometimes easily rattled, sometimes easily confused. We get sad sometimes and angry. Yes. Comfort your people. Yes. Send your spirit to us yes. that we can go on until the end. Yes. People we love, members of our family. Yes. We know time will come and our faith will be tested. Yes. But we will choose you. Yes. You are our Father. Yes. We love you, Yahuwah. Yes. We love you, yes. Yahuwah. Yes. Our God. Yes. Our God forever, our Lord Yahusha, we come before your presence. Reach out to your servants when some who will be calling upon the name of our Father, asking for wisdom, reveal yourself. Touch their hearts, Lord. You have done this before. Do it, please, again to give strength to us all. Father, thank you so much. We can count on you always. Yes. Heal those who were sick among us. Yes. Bless us with more strength yes. that we can complete our journey. Amen. Thank you so much, O oh God, for your blessing. Yes. We ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha. Amen. Amen.